your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. If ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the tax collectors the same? And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even pagans so. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which in heaven is perfect. This teaching is a continuation of last week's lesson. To love all equally is possible only by seeing God everywhere, in others as well as in oneself. See whatever comes to you, masked for, unasked for, as a manifestation of His will. Be grateful for the pains you experience, for they are healing strokes of His love. Sometimes healing is effected only by strong measures, but His love for you is manifested in the very attempt to heal. Strive always to be impersonal, as though whatever happens to you were happening to someone else. Persecution gives us the supreme opportunity to deny the thought, this is happening to me, and to affirm our inner freedom from the thought of ego. Don't allow the negative perceptions of others to become your own self-definition. Seek God. This is the true goal of life, though how difficult to cling to in the midst of hatred, spite, and persecution. The Bhagavad Gita tells us in the seventh chapter, out of thousands one strives for spiritual attainment, and out of many blessed true seekers who strive assiduously to reach me, one, perhaps, perceives me as I am. O truth seeker, be one among all those thousands who seeks the supreme goal. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. from Whispers from Eternity, Poems and Prayers by Swami Paramahansa Yogananda with Swami Kriyananda. In the Temple of United Hearts, it befits not thy lily tender feet to dance on the stony soil of hard hearts. On the petals of my sympathy for others, may thy tenderness dance forever. Divine Mother, may I feel thy heart throbs in my own heart, thy joy in my happiness, thy wise direction in all my activity, thy spirit in my soul. Divine Mother, I lay all the flowers of my love at thy feet of eternity. O oh, open wide the flowers of my budding devotion, and release thy fragrance, that it may spread from soul to the souls of others, ever whispering of thee. 
I pray to behold my love reflected in others. In the light of that greater love, may I behold thy unveiled face of perfect compassion. May I behold my true self in others, that I perceive thee ever enthroned in our united hearts. At the heart of my whispered prayers, I feel stirring thy silent whispers. In the light of my burning candle of devotion, I behold at last thy sacred blaze of perfect love. O Divine Mother, unite our hearts as one heart, so that on the sacred altar of united hearts, we may find thy omnipresence enthroned forever. So it's a beautiful reading this morning. Perfection is self-transcendence. So we've seen a soul uh, in Swami Kriyananda reach that perfection. His life has been such an example for, for us all, and this is a very auspicious time for us to go deep, as Jyotish was saying, more in his reading the teachings, but particularly meditating right now, because there's a Sort of the veils have been torn away uh, right now with his passing, particularly for us that have been in tune with him. And if you're sitting here, you're to some degree in tune with him because all of Ananda and everything that's generated from here has been a, an extension of Swami's consciousness. I met Swami uh, at, in, on March 15th at... Uh, Seven, I, I experienced him on March 15, 1978, 7.30 Central Standard Time. <laughs> the reason I know that is because Treasures had just recently come out with a talk that, uh, that I was at for the very first time, which was really fun because I thought, oh, I get a chance to listen to this again. Because, you know, how much do you really remember? I, what I did remember and what I followed uh, on was what I felt sitting in front of him that day and then probably about an hour or so later I had a chance to meet him you know he opened up with a, kind of a narrative with his song saying that he had created some songs uh, putting philosophical truths or concepts to music and he opened up with come gather round well done Lord and uh, what is love and that was a joy to be able to listen to those again at that you know, tuning into that time. And when, quite frankly, I was sitting there, I was just captivated. And when I, uh, I would just close my eyes, because at the time, the singers were the Gandharvas, called the Gandharvas, and they had these outfits. And, and the consciousness was beautiful, and the, the joy that they were, you know, emanating was so sweet. But, but they, you know, in the city there, uh, it was in Dallas, Texas, they, they looked a little, you know, sort of they all, their shoes were a little, uh, <laughs> shoes, the, the, the outfits were provided. The shoes they had, they were just their own. And, uh, <laughs> and they looked like they came from the country. And uh, Swami had these, you know, long robes and big beard and, and uh, long hair. But his eyes, his eyes were so beautiful. And I was sitting there, and I would just open my eyes you know, periodically just to take in his, that bliss emanating from him. But 
pretty much I closed my eyes and just got into the, to the bob, to the feeling of it. And I thought, I have to know this person. I have to find out more about him. I have to go where he is. I have to live where he lives. I'm going to follow him anywhere. And I did. Uh, so uh, some years later, through a series of events, I, I ended up living at Ananda maybe like six months later. But uh, I became his recording engineer. Now that was a pretty big term because I'm not a recording engineer. Um, I was very willing and I was able to sort of slide the phasers at the right you know, degree. Ganesha here set it up uh, for the most part, but uh, I was willing and had lots of time and I would do anything Swami asked. So I would go there uh, day after day to the Hermitage after it was built uh, a recording studio was added onto the Hermitage. As you get on the steps to the right, that whole wing was a recording studio. So I would go there every day. I, I used to energize in the morning and at my, my cabin, not too far away, I would look at the, the path and I'd say, I love that path because this path leads from my door to Swami's door. And I would take it every day and I would go to the, rec the recording studio and he was in his, re his music recording mode. And these songs have been the songs of divine joy were created then. But uh, he wanted to re-record all of them in, his, in the sort of the, uh, not comfort necessarily, but in the uh, energy of his own space in the studio here at Ananda. Because uh, some of them had been recorded elsewhere uh, in professional studios. So we would uh, get going and he'd record just song after song, you know, day after day. But I, I'd sit there and uh, just looking and it was my job to put it on and I would go like that. <laughs> and then it came. He was, he was in the recording studio part, the and there was, he was framed in a window, and I was in the sound booth. And uh, when I went like that, he began, and the sound would go in here. I had the headphones on, and it was so beautiful. His voice, as you know, it was so beautiful. And I would just sit there and I think, wow, this is a job, you know? <laughs> I, got, I got to do this, you know, every day. And, uh, and there would be long days, you know? And sometimes Swami would be leaving for a trip the next day. And so he would record late in the evening. Late then was 10 o'clock because, you know, there was no electricity anywhere. Just a couple places and one of it was down at the Hermitage. And uh, so most people, when they got into their little trailers and teepees, you know, you, you closed down a little earlier in those days. But it was 10, 11 o'clock. You know, these are late nights and recording him. And uh, he'd come out and he'd say, wouldn't it be great to, for me to take some of these uh, songs, some of these tapes with me on my trip? I'd say, yes, it would be, Swami. Um, we'll, I'll have some ready for you in the morning. Well, what that meant was <laughs> with music, uh, we did one-on-one -on -one duplication because we didn't have the equipment in those days. And one-on-one -on -one duplication... Uh, if not, if, we, if you tried high speed, it would trill and kind of ruin the sound. So they had to be done one-to-one, one one, and they were 90-minute tapes, and so it took 45 minutes to do each one, right? 
each side. So what that meant was I would sleep in the studio and I brought a little alarm clock and I would set it <laughs> for 45 minutes. And when it would go off, I would turn the tape and hit the buttons, <laughs> go back to sleep. <laughs> so every 90 minutes I had one tape. So I did that all night so that I could hand him about six or eight tapes. And at one moment when I thought, you know, poor me, you know, you know, that I have to stay all night. And I thought, well, look at Swami. He's, in, he's doing all the work. I'm just, you know, doing the fader and listening to that sweet sound, that sweet voice of his. So he's doing all the work. And he's going to get up early in the morning, get packed, catch a plane, maybe go to Europe and lecture in a different language, you know, under what normally would be jet lag for everybody else. So I thought, I could do I could handle this, you know? So in the morning, you know, I would, would have breakfast or something, and I would present him with a stack of tapes, and he'd be so pleased, you know? And then that would happen again, and he'd say, wouldn't it be lovely if, we could, if I could bring some of these tapes? And I'd say, yes, it would, Swami. <laughs> About the third time, he'd come out of the recording studio, and I'd say, Swami, wouldn't it be lovely if you could take some of these tapes? And he'd go, it would, yes, it would. So, you know, I got the hang of it. But anyway, <laughs> so that, that path I called the yellow brick road, you know, because I would go down. To me, Swami was like a, like a wizard. When you were in his presence, magic happened, you know, and it still does if you get in, the, in, the, in his consciousness. But this isn't the main uh, part of my talk. Um, what Jyotish said the other evening at the memorial service is that Swami's more with us now than ever. He's not encumbered by this physical form. That which was, you know, hassling him more and more. And you look at him and you see that still we'd close our eyes and we would feel the power of his consciousness and the depth of his attunement with Master and so on. But uh, nevertheless, you know, it was, it was really testing him and, and uh, slowing him down. So now he's free of it, and he's merged with God and Master, and now we could tune into him. He's more with us now than, than ever, if we tune in, right? So we're not going to be limiting him to that physical form. But I went through this myself uh, early on. About after eight years of being here, Swami asked myself and some others to go to Seattle and, and start the Seattle Center. Well, I had a bit of a panic because... I had never been away from Ananda, and Ananda Village was pretty much here. So I, I wasn't all that excited about going. I was fairly reluctant, actually, and I really didn't want to go. So <laughs> that's putting it straight. So I just said, and I said to Swami, I said, Swamiji, I, I, I don't really want to go because I don't want to leave Ananda. And he said, make Ananda there. Make Ananda there. This was a time when we were going out. Sacramento had already been started uh, to some degree. It was, it was going, but everything got energized. It was the time to go out. That's when uh, Assisi or Italy got going and Portland and Palo Alto, all of them. So he, another thing, I said, well, I don't want to uh, leave you. Well, he just stayed silent at that probably was going to let me figure that out. Uh, so I became attached, you know. And to some degree, I came too accustomed to Swami. And I didn't take him for granted, but maybe a little bit. 
and uh, just having him around and being around him in the body. And, uh, but there was some bit of over-familiarity that was going on, and he wants to break us of that too much attachment to the physical and getting too personal. And, uh, you know, and, and not that, what, what, what is wrong with that is that it, you're, it's a limitation for yourself in perhaps perceiving all that Swami was. And I'm sure it was the same for those that were around Master, uh, Yogananda. So as I went, uh, as I prepared to go, uh, I was thinking of all those that were going to get to stay here. And, you know, there was a bit of a woe-me thing. But I thought this was wonderful because I did learn a good lesson. When I got up to Seattle, uh, another thing I thought, what did I have to say? You know, what was I really capable of doing? And uh, going up there was good because there were new devotees. And after being at Ananda eight years or around Swami and the other leaders that that, you know, inculcating the teachings and the consciousness. We were moving a table, me and another fella, and, and he was, had something, you know, he wasn't all that interested in doing it as, as if that was menial. And I said, well, we're doing this for God. Well, he stopped in his tracks and thought, wow, that's really something. You know, to us, that's pretty basic, you know. You do it. That was a new concept for them. I thought, well, we have new concepts to share with these people because we have taken these teachings for granted for so many years. But what I really learned from that episode was uh, that I, I was, uh, had read a quote from Khalil Gibran, and he said, for that which you love most in him may be clearer in his absence as the mountain to the climber is clearer from the plain. And I just thought, yes, that's what, that's what happened. When I got up there, suddenly I'm, I'm reading the teachings even more because you have to get preparing for a talk or whatever. And I was tuning into Swami's consciousness and he loomed large, much larger than I was, had got accustomed to, kind of limiting him in that form. And that's what we can do now. That's what we can do now. He's not in this body but he's looming large. He's in his everywhere-ness right now. And we could tune into him and, and what he'd want us to do is do what he did ever since he met Yogananda. And that's attune ourselves to the guru, to this ray of consciousness, and give his love to everyone. And that's how we actually attain perfection through self-transcendence. What is perfection? Perfection is not making this a perfect world or trying to do everything perfectly. What perfection is, is learning, as, Rami, as Swami shared with us in, in, in his own example of his life and his writings, is to give God's love to everyone, be a channel for that love, and to try to do everything with God's love. That's how we attain perfection, not trying to, like, it's, it's a paralyzing thought, isn't it, to be perfect. I was thinking about when, when Christ said that to his followers. Well, it says, it says and Swami has shared this in some of his lectures and writings, is it, that um, when Jesus said, you need to uh, eat my body and drink my blood, that this was a deep teaching and many walk no more with him. And I thought, well, those are the ones that made it through be ye therefore perfect. 
just as your Father in heaven is perfect, because that is a tall order too, isn't it? But what he meant, as, and as Swami has taught us, is that he wasn't talking about being perfect. He was talking about tapping into our own soul, where we are perfect, and give our soul qualities, our, the divine love of our own soul to others. And that's, that's what's before us to do. And we could do that. We can do that in small ways, in large ways. Whatever is happening, whatever you're involved in, like that last email that came to us that Swami wrote, he told the fellow, don't worry about a job description. He goes, just do whatever, whatever is given for you to do. Serve Ananda, serve God, try to put God's love in everything you do, and all will be well. That's, that's, that's what we're to do here. Each and every one of us, no matter how long we've been on the path, no matter where we think we are in our spiritual evolution, perfection is, is defined as the act or process of perfecting. So we're all working towards this perfection. Swami writes, there's three points to, to attaining this. One is Jesus meant that it, it was as a commandment. Be ye therefore perfect. This is what we have to try to do. Be, for, be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. But we are perfect. Stand up. Call your soul your own. Claim the power within you. All of the, the songs and the writings, that's what he's telling us to do. Go, don't be bound by your human limitation. The second point. Yes, you hear be, be perfect, and you think, me? but I'm flawed, you know? Yeah, we're all flawed. We're all flawed in our ego. Ego is the very definition of imperfection. So we, we're not to live in our egos. We're to get out of our egos. And everything about our teachings and our practices help us try to do that. And if we can get out of our egos, then we're in good shape. Don't identify with your weaknesses and your limitations and, and all the faults that you think you are. That's not who you are. Yogananda, any master, Swamiji, never saw us that way. I never would have made it into that recording studio if, if that's how he saw me. And I was even thinking in those days, this is amazing that I've gotten this far because he must see like who I am. <laughs> you know, He saw who I was in my soul, just as each and every one of you in this room and everyone tuning in you know, to, this, to, to Ananda's teachings worldwide, always trying to encourage us, tune into your own soul. That's what the guru did for all of them, and that's what Swami did for all of us. The third point that he says, well, in, 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 in overcoming your limitations, overcoming, not identifying with your human weaknesses, well, we have all kinds of practices for that. Our bhakti yoga practices, sing and chant and pray, that lifts us out of ourselves, that tunes us into God. The third point that he makes is that we can't get there on our own. It has to be through the grace of God. So, and we only get to that grace by, by um, tapping into or drawing, experiencing the divine presence within us. Because when you experience the, 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 the divine presence, then it naturally unfolds. That's what the basic teachings of yoga are all about, right? Not identifying with your body and your 
and your mind, your thoughts and your limitations and, and you know, the reality that you typically work from, lift your consciousness from that and tune into your soul reality. There the grace can flow. So we have to do the work. Like sometimes when I'm teaching meditation, I go, okay, relax your body. And the person goes, I can't relax my body. Well, how about this? Try, these, try this technique. You know, do some hatha yoga, do some energization exercises. Then you can relax your body. Okay, now focus your mind one pointedly at the removal of all other thoughts. And they seize up again. It's like, well, no one could do that. You need techniques. You need a technique. So we teach them a mantra, hong sa, some breathing. Those are practices. These are the, the practices that Yogananda brought to the West, the scientific techniques of yoga and meditation. These give us the ability to do that. Swamiji says, get into your heart. Practice bhakti yoga. That's the most important thing you can do. So all the time now, let's, right now I'm thinking like when a parent passes, you know, well, they're just down the road. I can go check in. And well, it's, he's really leading. He still is leading us. But now suddenly the responsibility falls on, on, on all of us to kind of get it right, you know. Try to get it right. Try to, try to put more energy into everything, everything that he has given. And that, that would be what makes him, would make him so happy. He was so sweet and so loving, so gentle. He, he, would, he would go out of his way to help the individual, as he said. He talked about Yogananda, where Yogananda sometimes wouldn't, wouldn't say anything or he'd let them figure it out for themselves. Swami bent over backwards just to explain everything and, and to give such encouragement. This one story. And, and the books on him, uh, Faith is My Armor, In Divine Friendship, As We've Known Him, those are gold right now because there's so many uh, stories in those books from people like you and I, just that, of the experiences we had with him. And you read them, and they're so inspiring. One, and, and he always cared for the individual. There was this one story about a guy that uh, he was uh, working in some department and, and thought he had claim to, the, the, to some money that was in, in having to do with that project, $10,000. And he was about to leave, and he was going to take it with him. And so it, uh, they went to Swami and told him about it, and it was for Swami to take care of because it was an old friend and, and Swami just said, if he thinks it's his and he wants it, let him have it. Let him take it. And he said, uh, perhaps you'll understand later what the, the hardship that'll create, but if not, he said, I would rather, uh, I do not want to have money come in between him and my friendship. And he said, I, I ch some people choose money over friendship. I uh, hold money. I hold friendship higher than money. And so this is, so even in, in that instant, he, he didn't want to have anything come between him and this person. And there's small, sometimes the smaller stories are really beautiful. There was one uh, when he was in Goa that a friend of his had to go to, to a tailor and a tailor and a jeweler shared this, this shop, right? And so while the, his friend was dealing with uh, getting some tailoring done, he just, Swami just sat there and made conversation with the jeweler. All he, he, he told him he lived in Delhi, that you know, he was a disciple of Paramahansa Yogananda, 
and that he had a daily TV show. But other than that, they talked about the weather and economics, and, and he was probably, they shared some information about Jim. Swami showed him his, his bangle, and uh, that was it. And then the next time this Swami's friend came to that shop, the jeweler said, who was that man? He goes, that was the most spiritual person I had ever met in my life. And he said, look at me. You see me. I'm a worldly man. You know, I don't meditate. I don't, uh, I smoke cigarettes. I'm, I, uh, you know, I have desires. He sat there and talked to me like he was my friend. I feel blessed having had a few minutes with this person. He felt that was the greatest blessing of his life. And that we could go through so many stories like that. And here we are, having lived with him and many of us and, and those that have tuned into his teachings to some degree. I'm sure you have or you wouldn't be here. What a treasure. And look at everything he left behind. So what's, what Jyotish said, uh, I think it was in the article with the union, he said, very rarely a soul like this comes, comes to earth. Yeah, there are great gurus even, you know, swamis, teachers, people living in the Himalayas. Swami took the teachings of his guru, and if it wasn't for him, we probably wouldn't be here. And he took them, and he spent every ounce of his life's blood and energy and sinew of his body and mind and spirit to put it in books and music and plays and everything all showing us the teachings in every area of life, every area for us so that we could find our freedom. An astrologer, I'll close, sent us a, a, a little email and she ran a chart of Swami's hor horoscope at the moment of his passing. And she said that I have never seen a more elegant horoscope. There is not a doubt of his final liberation. This part's a little obscure. And his return to the constellation of Magha, where he is with Master. So we, we know that Master said he's, that death would be his final test and that he would reach liberation this lifetime. And this is another corroboration of it. But all we need to do is get still and go within and tune in. And he's going to be guiding us, Swamiji, Master, until we too can join them in our final liberation, whenever that happens. But all we do, he says, you know, if you can just give God's love to everyone, and put God's love into everything we do, that will elevate us. And that's what will take us home. And that's what will put us in the consciousness that they are enjoying right now.
Wake up, reclaim.